get myself a Lincoln Got me plotting, got me plotting, got me thinking, got me thinking How can I come up and get myself a Lincoln out of continental Hey, this is Tony Boss Bowling coming to you from the Lincoln Attic Podcast Hey, hey, it's Jason ODB, a.k.a. The Lincoln Attic. Thanks for everyone for tuning in, continuing to tune in every single episode. Whether you're listening here on your favorite podcast app or however you find us, uh, thank you guys so much. This is Lincoln Attic Podcast, and it is brought to you by our fine friends and family at Devious Customs. Visit DeviousCustoms.com, whether you're looking for air suspension for your car or other ways to potentially modernize it. Jeff and team continued to add new products for these 60 era Lincolns. Oh, by the way, for 6465, they've got replacement uh, inserts for the dash. So to replace potentially your older scratched up pieces, uh, they've got different kits out there. They've also have door speaker pods. Also, another hot product is their window switch replacement. So they've got tons of stuff, deviouscustoms.com. Also, Colorado Custom. Visit coloradocustom.com and you will find the latest in custom wheels that they offer. What's one of my favorite products that they offer are their Lincoln wheels, their replica wheels. They look just like the Lincoln hubcaps. So uh, let Michael and team know that Lincoln Attic Podcast sent you. And then lastly, Steel Rubber. Visit steel, S-T-E-E-L-E, rubber.com and uh, you can order a free catalog for your make and model vehicle. They'll send it out to you, and then that will show you every piece available. Make a list, check it twice, and order parts when you can from Steel Rubber. They are the best in the business. And later this year, I'll be doing some install videos of the pieces that I bought. I literally bought at the time every single piece for the 64 Lincoln Continental convertible, and I'll be sharing uh, that progress of installing those pieces along the way. So, on episode, as we get started here, on episode 15, we had Frank on from Canada. So thanks so much for, um, for you know, the homie for coming on. It um, it was awesome to link up with him. Hopefully you followed him on social media. He has a beautiful sedan, uh, shares a lot of awesome photos. So uh, if you haven't uh, went back and listened, if you're on iPhone or let's say you're using the Podbean app, uh, we don't have a whole bunch of episodes, so you can surely go back and uh, listen to those episodes. I would suggest that. And uh, if you're new to the podcast, again, thanks again. Now, on this episode, episode 16, we're going to have a a friend of ours, Pat Tian. We're going to have him back on, and he's actually going to be our first guest that we circle back and have on again. And I think that's important, especially in the Lincoln community. It's a little bit smaller of a community than, say, um, you know, just hot rods in general, or, you know, my friend Ronnie over at C10 Talk, he also does OBS Talk. And then, of course, us uh, with the other podcast I produce, our lifestyle podcast, which is centered around kind of the mini truck uh, scene, if you will. But the Lincoln community is fairly small. And when you have someone like Pat Tian that is um, just, you know, really a Lincoln addict, when you, when you think about it, he eats, uh, sleeps, and breathes Lincolns. He obviously is spearheading a lot of cool stuff. With these cars, he owns a 64 sedan, 
And, uh, of course, we'll make sure that you got his Instagram and things like that. Now, this kind of intro, I'm going to make it a lot shorter because I think the audio with Pat is just a little over an hour. So there's plenty that we talk about. And, uh, you know, I want to get you guys to that audio sooner rather than later. All right. Uh, the Lincoln Life updates, one of the segments here. And again, this is brought to you by Steel Rubber. If you need new weather stripping for your vehicle, it's Steel Rubber, S T E E L E, rubber.com. Enter in your vehicle information from the drop down menus. Oh, by the way, we had them on. So if you go back and you listen to the audio, don't just take my word for it. They explain hands down, why their products are uh, more superior. And if you own one of these 60 Lincolns or some of the other year Lincolns, you know that these cars are sometimes you know, really an investment. So the better parts you put on the car, the more you keep it sealed up from the elements, the better it's going to potentially withstand over the course of time. So uh, not a lot of Lincoln Life updates here. I did see that FordAuthority.com, they had posted back on the 17th, uh, there will be no Lincoln pickup or Blackwood Mark LT successor, and this was an exclusive that they had. And um, it goes on to say, as sales of pickup trucks continue to grow, particularly those of trucks with luxurious uh, appointments and trim levels, one simply cannot or can't help but wonder if now is the time for a Lincoln pickup. On the surface, the idea of a luxurious Lincoln truck, such as a revived Lincoln Blackwood or Mark LT, makes perfect sense given the high levels of interest and popularity of the increasingly expensive Ford F-150, King Ranch, the Platinum, the limited trim levels. Even so, it doesn't look like uh, a pickup is in Lincoln's future. And it kind of goes on to talk a little bit about in an interview with uh, Ford Motor Company Vice President and President of North American Region, uh, Kumar, Ford Authority Executive Director Alex Luft asked whether a Lincoln pickup truck, potentially a follow-up to the Lincoln Mark LT or Blackwood, is something the automaker was considering. The answer was very simple, quote, no, no pickup plans for Lincoln. Uh, he said with a chuckle, adding, quote, We've, uh, we're very focused on Lincoln SUVs, which are going great, or doing great. And I thought this was interesting because on my Lincoln Attic podcast, um, I was searching YouTube the other day. So you can go out on um, YouTube and search in Lincoln Attic and you'll see the channel. I've been trying to put more content there as well. And I was watching a video from several years ago when Ford announced they were going to bring back the Continental. And um, they had some high big wig on. I forget if it was the CEO at the time. And you know he talked about how you know, this, that, you know, this car was, you know, going to be a great thing and how they were expanding in the, I think it was the China market and so on and so forth. And it's, it's cool when you listen to the things like real time, but I was watching it like four or five years later and it kind of reinforced to me like, wow, you know, they had all this data that was suggesting that the Lincoln Continental was, it was the time to bring it back. And then now you kind of see, you know, it's really not the time to bring it back for whatever reason, you know, SUVs and trucks are the kind of the future. And then of course here you would kind of think, well, yeah, I mean the, the Ram trucks are amazing. Um, I, we talk about a lot of truck stuff over on OLP, uh, sometimes kind of the data between some of the OEMs in terms of the, the sales, uh, Chevy's new trucks. I mean, 
they were off to a rocky uh, start at the beginning of the year, even before COVID. And a lot of that seemed to be maybe the redesign that a lot of the truck guys didn't necessarily like, but starting to grow on us a little bit. But I say all that because, you know, now here, even Ford saying that we're not bringing back a pickup, they're focused pretty much on SUVs, which um, they do a damn good job at. But I have always liked the Blackwood. I've seen a, cu- a couple custom Blackwoods kind of lowered, but uh, man, the bed, it was so, it, I'm looking at a photo here on FordAuthority.com. The bed looks so different from the cab of the truck. And it um, it's, it's one of those, like I wouldn't mind eventually owning one. But I know, like when they first came out with the price tag and stuff like that, I knew that I wouldn't purchase one um, at that time. But you know, who knows? Maybe in the future. Uh, check out FordAuthority.com for more information on this. Uh, the title is "There Will Be No Lincoln Pickup or Blackwood Mark LT Successor," and then that was an exclusive that they had. The only other thing I was going to mention from a Lincoln Life Update standpoint is I met a guy that knows a lot about Lincoln. And um, I was at a swap meet and I saw a couple hubcaps and I asked him about them and we started talking and we talked forever. And he's a really, really cool guy, 71 year old. He's got an old school convertible Zephyr. He showed me some photos. Uh, he seemed to know a lot about a lot of stuff. You know, I mentioned the, you know, I mentioned the Godfather. Uh, you know, up and he's like, "Yeah, I lived in uh, Long Island back in the day, and I knew a guy that had a car that was painted like one of the the police cars from the movie." And just really, I mean, a plethora of of knowledge and and just stuff that he knew. So I'm looking forward to having him on in the near future. And if you want to follow him on Instagram. Uh, they also have a local car show that uh, got canceled this year, but we're going to try to go to it next November. So we're talking a little over a year away. But on Instagram, it's Cigar City Concourse, C-O-N-C-O-U-R-S, of course. So Cigar City Concourse all together. Vic Piano, some of you may know him. I did not know of Vic, but uh, super, super nice guy and uh, more coming uh, check out his awesome cars. He's got the Zephyr on there as well. All right, next, the Lincoln Continental Broker update. So really this one, not a lot here to talk about. Um, been trying to find more cars to sell. And uh, Dr. Nicholas has the two sedans that we're selling. These cars came from John that, was, that lived in Nashville. And uh, John sold these two cars that basically went to Dr. Nicholas. And these cars had a ton of money invested in them. One of them has an engine rebuild. The other, 63 Blue, uh, has pretty much everything gone through. So you got a blue 63 sedan and a gold 66 both sedans. A lot of work in them. Um, as an example, the 66 sedan that's gold has a f- full brand new interior. Now the interior is black. So I know everyone seems to want a black Lincoln you can easily paint that 66 black if you want to. Uh, the blue one is, to me, it's just an awesome car. Uh, in terms of the color, I love blue Lincolns, of course. But um, either one of those cars are literally turnkey. He is asking 25000 each. Uh, he's willing to make a package deal for potentially a little bit less. Uh, he is open to offers as well. So uh, if you want to reach out, really there's a couple ways. I have on Instagram, I have Lincoln Addict. And then I also have Lincoln Continental Sales, right? And then I also have an email address, which is Lincoln Addict Podcast 
at gmail.com. Now, I try to track the direct messages as much as I can, but I get a lot of spam and just a lot of stuff that, you know, is, you know, it's hard to filter through all that. So if you are serious and you want to talk on the phone or you want more information, email me, lincolnaddictpodcast at gmail.com. I will get back to you as soon as I can. I can send you a ton of photos, some videos. Uh, we've got receipts, so we've got photos of all of that that will show the amount of money that's put in these cars. I will tell you, like I said on the last episode, you can buy a sedan for less. You really can. However, you typically are going to have to have the brakes gone through, fuel system, so much stuff has to be gone through just to kind of bring them up to the reliability standard. So if you're looking to get in one of these cars, let me know. Uh, When John owned them, he would take the blue one and drive it 50 miles each way to where he had to work. So Never an issue with them. I think on both of them, you'll probably get, need to have the air condition recharged. I know at least on one. So uh, just let me know, and uh, we'll help get you into one of those awesome sedans. All right, next, Lincoln's in the movies, and I need to add on slash TV shows. So the last episode, I talked about Inspector Gadget, which is kind of a, a cluster of a car, uh, <laughs> many of us would think. This episode, I want to hit on uh, the the hit TV show from back in the day, which was Mission Impossible. Now, of course, th- you know many of us remember. I think it was in the eighties they had the TV show kind of revived, and then of course they've got the hit movies. But back in the sixties, Mission Impossible was a hit TV show, and uh, I think it originally it aired from like sixty six to seventy three. Now, uh, in episode or season six, episode six. There is a 61 Lincoln Continental, and uh, there's uh, some photos that I'll share of it. Uh, Unfortunately, this probably isn't the best one for me to cover, but I think on the 10th episode that season, this car was literally blown to smithereens. So uh, there's there's a couple photos that I'll share of it where it's in a parking lot, and uh, in the back you'll see a VW bus in this car. they literally it has a fire from underneath the uh, underneath the hood and man the hood blows off of it and they literally blow this thing up so it does suck to see from a from a Lincoln fan right because there's one down out of the few thousand sedans and or convertibles that were produced but it's still a part of TV and movie history so I will share those photos uh, and if you are a fan of uh, of a particular movie, and you know there's a Lincoln in it, email me, lincolnatticpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll do my best to cover that one. I'll also give you credit uh, for the uh, the intel, if you will. All right, uh, next, Project Smuggler's Blues. That's my 64 Lincoln Continental. Hopefully you guys do not get sick of me uh, talking about this car, but love this car and um, really still excited that I got some of the gauges working. Talked about that in the last episode. Not a lot. Of updates, but I will say one was I, I I finally took some time, and I make lists on my phone all the time of stuff I want to accomplish on the weekends, and one of those things was taking that rechromed rear bumper, which was rechromed by advanced plating, and painting the inside the back side of it. So I'm pretty OCD when it comes to you know if something's apart, why not clean it up or paint it or whatnot. And I've seen also on a few hot rod shows they've talked about when you get a uh, bumper that comes back from rechroming, 
you know, typically a lot of the high-end shops, they go and they paint the back of the bumper. And it's just a light. You can even use like spray paint, which I did. You can use POR15. Uh, POR15 is what it's referred to as, which stands for paint over rust. It's an amazing product. But, um, you know, there was a lot of kind of crevices and whatnot on the backside of it. So I wasn't going to get crazy with the paintbrush. But I tell you what, I took some black paint and I just put a couple coats on and I coated the back of that bumper really, really nice. And that's one thing that I accomplished on the car. Now I still need to get the bumper on. I want to polish the bumper ends first, the bumper ends, pull off the other rear bumper, basically put the new bumper up on there. And then I want to hook up the tag light, which I'm pretty sure I did not hook back up whenever I have the temporary rear bumper on the car, which was from a parts car that uh, Tony had uh, basically worked to deal with me. And I got the whole back half of it which will be uh, made into a Lincoln couch. And um, during that time, I said, well, hell, I got this bumper on it. It's not the nicest bumper, but still a bumper. And I went ahead and put that bumper on the 64 Lincoln that I've been driving a little bit for the past couple years. So not a lot of updates, but more to come. Looking to do some suspension uh, soon. And uh, hopefully you guys don't cringe over that. It is going to be an airbagged car. I have all of the Devious Customs parts they're all powder coated. I have one tank. I'm probably going to run two. So I'm debating on if I'm going to run the seamless tanks there. I have a full AccuAir system. I'm debating if I want to run that because there's obviously that company's out of business now. And, um, you know, I had some of the newer stuff that people have had challenges with. So really got to, you know, make some final decisions here on what stuff I'm going to run. Am I going to go basic and run just some manual valves on it, which you know, again, I've said before, Tony has on his Red 65 sedan. The system is pretty much foolproof, and it works great, really no leaks, and uh, car, you know, it performs as you want it to. You air it out, it's kind of slow because it's uh, quarter-inch lines, and then you, of course, air it up and a little bit slow, but, you know, it works. But uh, so i got to make a decision if, if I'm going to run the, the AccuAir system, which is more of the kind of computerized valve and things like that. You could do the auto leveling and whatnot. Or if I'm going to sell that stuff and just go old school. So much more coming on that. Of course, I'll document a lot of that on Lincoln Addict Podcast uh, YouTube channel. So go out and search in Lincoln Addict. Give me a follow there. And again, much more coming. So on this one, I um, want to just you know give a shout out. And I'm just going to go in and just give a random person a shout-out on Instagram. And this one's going to go out to Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-Y underscore Dado, D-A-D-O. I posted an image that I had saved of his, um, gosh, I don't know. We probably posted it maybe a year ago. And sometimes, you know, these photos are fun, and I'll go back and I'll share them again a year or two years later and, you know, the new followers, maybe never seen it. And it's a picture of his 64 sedan, black, beautiful car, airbagged. Then he has a couple of wagons that he created that uh, you can pull, and of course, right, for his kids. And then he's got a couple of toys at the very end. I think one might even be one of those Christmas ornaments. I can't really tell. And then at the very last one does look like a little die cast of some sort. But uh, basically, it looks like... There's five Lincolns in a row, and it's you know goes from the left side, the the real car, to the two wagons, to the two uh, you know toys, kind of smaller size Christmas ornament type things. 
A very cool photo. It looks like as of right now, just on Instagram, that's uh, almost 13,000 people. So total impressions, almost 13,000 people have seen that. So uh, pretty cool. A lot of likes on it. But um, to me, it's just fun to share other people's stuff and, of course, always give credit uh, because, you know, there's so many cool photos out there. It's awesome what people do in this Lincoln community, whether they create something like he did uh, for the kids, you know, to kind of get them involved or, um, you know, some of the other stuff that that you'll see. Uh, there's a, there's another guy I'll give him a shout-out in the future, Dane. Uh, he's taken some cool photos with his 61 convertible over the years, and I had saved some of those before I ever even knew who he was. And, um, you know, of course, met him through Instagram because he was like, hey, that's my car a couple years ago, make a note of it. And then, boom, anytime I share photos of his car, easily tag him to give that photo credit. So uh, those are that's the shout out for this episode. All right, let's roll into Pat's audio. Uh, enjoy the week. And uh, again, going to try to stick to every two weeks or so launching a new episode so keep it posted if you're on iPhone. You could probably listen uh, easily through the Apple Podcast app. Uh, it's a purple pre-installed app. Just search Lincoln Addict. Or if you're on uh, Android or another operating system, you can download Podbean and uh, search Lincoln Addict. But uh, if you've ever used Pandora or Spotify, it's available on all of those platforms as well. Thank you for the continued support. ODB, a.k.a. the Lincoln Addict, we out of here. Take care. Hey, hey, it's ODB, and as I mentioned earlier, we are going to roll in and, and man, just take some time to, to circle back with the guests that want to come on, the guests that are doing the dang thing, and the guests that are living the Lincoln life daily, and uh, our friend, Pat Tien, you, you live the Lincoln life daily. How you doing, brother? Good, Jay. How are you, man? Everything is good, man. The world is crazy. I know it seems like the world's coming to an end, but uh, you guys are surviving up there in Canada okay. Yeah, man. Yeah, world's crazy. I mean, things are good here in Canada, so we're we're not too bad. So, I mean, there's a lot of restrictions and, you know, things you can and can't do that you used to be able to do, and a lot of shows canceled, and pretty much every show is canceled, right? So a lot of making our own fun and just a lot of uh, grassroots stuff going on and going for cruises and pretty much if you want to go out, you know, sitting on patios and, you know, that's really about it. So uh, kind of back to basics, kind of, you know, spending more time in the backyard and in the driveway than you are out, you know, and at shows and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, making do with what we got, I guess, right? I know. And uh, I, I agree. And uh, I know you've, you've, you've ramped up some of your YouTube stuff. We'll talk about it. I've tried to kind of say, you know, our restrictions obviously aren't as, you know, tight here in, in the U.S., but, uh, you know, I've tried to kind of just sit back a couple of days and go, you know, I'm always looking for more stuff on eBay or this or that, and, you know, I want more and more and more, and what's the next project and all that, and I'm like, you know what, sometimes you just got to sit back and kind of enjoy what you got, you know, look at the, uh, you know, look at some of the Hot Wheels and, you know, go, dig through some of the cool stuff we've collected, because, uh you know, it, it's nice to sometimes reflect back and just enjoy what you got, you know? 
Yeah, for sure, man. It's it's funny. I saw your video on YouTube there earlier this week where you were flipping through some of your manuals. You know what? I'm going to do the same thing. So I kind of did a, a similar, uh, you know, go through of some of my old manuals and some of my toys and some of my memorabilia. And it's just kind of funny with the whole COVID thing, too. Two of the manuals that I picked up, the one for the trans and the one for the HVAC, I picked those up on, like, March 12th in Detroit. So literally the last time I was in the U.S. was for a swap meet in Detroit where I got those two manuals. So I guess I'm thankful I got them. I mean, it's the last thing I brought back from the States, and I've read them a couple of times, and they're pretty pretty fun. They're pretty interesting to see, you know, this new and newfangled invention called the automatic transmission in 1959 when they were gearing up for them. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and we definitely need to talk about that because I think you've got some cool stuff going on there. Um, let's talk about, you know, since you were on last time on Lincoln Attic Podcast, we talked about all kinds of cool stuff, kind of how you became a fan of the cars and whatnot. And, um, you know, so the folks that have went back, most people, since we don't have a huge catalog yet, they've already listened. And, um, you know, what are some of the other things you've been working on uh, as far as your car? I mean, I know, why, why don't we start at the transmission, dude? Because it seemed like, keep me honest, you had that thing out more than I had mine out. <laughs> I, I did, man. So uh, last last fall, my trans was slipping, so I knew I needed a rebuild. So up here, man, it is hard to find people that are interested in building anything other than a Turbo 350, right? They will they want to get in, get out, make the money, get the trans out the door, and get on to the next one. So as soon as it's something somebody's not heard of, like, it is pulling teeth. So I found a guy here, reputable, owns a trans shop, and he's like, you know what, I'll take a kick at it because I'd like to learn it. And I had the book. I've got all the manuals and everything. He was like, yeah, give me the book. I'll do some reading. I'll do some learning. You know, he's a, he's a great guy, just wants to improve himself too, right? So he's like, the more I know, you know, the better bench. Great. Took the book, took the trans, rebuilt it, gave it back to me put the trans in, put, you know, filled it all up with fluid and everything, put it in gear, nothing. Car wouldn't go. You'd rev all day. Nothing would happen. Oh, my God. Pulled the trans out, gets it back, looks at it. He's like, okay, the pump wasn't quite sealed. It wasn't quite sitting in properly. It wasn't quite sealing. It wasn't building pressure. Fixes the pump, gives it back to me, put it back in, still nothing. Put it in drive, put it in reverse, nothing. Are you serious? So it's like, well, maybe my converter's bad. And I've got two converters. So, and they were both checked, and they were both good. Took, took it out again, cleaned the converter all up, checked, tested them both out, pressured them both, put it back in. Third time, nothing. It's like, are you serious? Man. So, fortunately, I had a spare transmission, so I, I gave him my spare, and then uh, he, I was like, it's got to be something in the valve body, or he said it's got to be something in the valve body. He was 100% certain of everything that's in the top of the trans you have to pull it out for. Fortunately, the body, you can just drop the pan. You don't got to drop the trans. So, he took my old trans back, looked at it, he calls me up, he's like, man, I know exactly what it is. There's like this little limiting pin and a spring and a clip, and he put the pin in upside down. And like you could put it in other opposite ways as well. And the funny thing was that in the rebuild manual, it actually showed this pin the wrong way. So he was putting it in how the rebuild manual said to put it. It was preventing it from building pressure. He didn't know it was wrong until he opened up my trans and he saw the pin the other way around he's like are you effing kidding me so then he calls me up comes out drops the pan flip it around boom fixed so running and driving it's been running like a champ ever since i probably put i just put it in in this, this spring so i've got maybe 1500 miles or so on it right now and it, it just runs like a champ it's it's great dude mind blown because 
what was so ironic is around the time, it seemed like around the same time, we were having the same challenges. And in my example, I had went through Tony and his their transmission you know, shop that they go through. They did a fan – man, when they rebuilt my transmission, the case looked brand new. They painted it black. They um, supposedly had sent the torque converter over to their local place here that specializes in them, and they, you know – cleaned it and man it was all I mean everything dude it was so nice and I'm like all right man you know not only is the thing going back in but it's going to look good all this stuff whatever so then basically in my situation which I've kind of talked a little bit about here is when we had to take it back out a second time that's a whole nother thing or, or you know basically the second time so then when we reinstalled it because I haven't installed these things very often I didn't have access to a lift Basically, I just didn't have the pump fully seated right. So kind of similar situations, whereas yours was one little thing. Blair has told me, though, in the past, too, that even like the main shaft that comes out of it, like when you look at that on both yep. sides, I mean, there's some people, and I did this on my 67, I had the shaft backwards. And then when, when we took the trans out that time in my 67, Blair looked at it, took the shaft out, and he goes, yep, look, it's totally backwards, and it looks almost identical. So... Things, man. If if the people don't know the stuff inside and out, including me, because I don't know it all, you know, you can run into some challenges. Yeah, man, for sure. And and this guy, he was an amazing guy to deal with. And I mean, it, he, he he didn't feel bad. I mean, he felt bad that I had to pull the trans out three times. But for us, we could have the trans out in like ninety minutes, and then it took us about two hours, two and a half hours to put it back in, or something like that. So. We got it, got it down to a pretty good rhythm. A buddy, a buddy, and myself on a lift. So it ended up being a relatively smooth process. It was just frustrating that we had to take it out three different times. So, but I mean, it is what it is. You live and learn. So, and I mean, he's learned too. So now he's the he's the only guy in like Ontario that I know of now that you know will touch these uh, Ford Omatics. So anybody I know now with a, with a you know a sixty one, sixty five, I'm sending them to him. So. He knows what he's done wrong, so now he knows how to do it right. <laughs> well, and that's what I've learned, that if you don't do hands-on, then, you know, like almost like when we had John Brewer on, right? John Brewer knows a lot about these Lincolns, and there's kind of, you know, and he said it, you know, there's the, there's like him that has a lot of knowledge, and that he can help you over the phone, and he can fix something, typically through his kind of user manuals and stuff that he's created, kind of troubleshooting guides. But then there's no... Um, the, you know, they're, they're, you know, for him, he'll kind of mention that like John Cashman in his own right mind is, uh, even that much more experienced than so many other folks because he has all the hands-on experience. So it's like the old, like book smart versus street smarts, you know, you might know everything over here, yeah. but you don't have the hands-on or vice versa. You might be a great mechanic, but you don't know Lincoln's at all. So you, you have to learn through that hands-on. That's the way, that's my belief. Yeah, dude, for sure. So, okay, right, so we got the transmission, cars running and driving, everything's good there. Something else I've seen on your YouTube channel, and, and I would encourage everyone, if you go to YouTube and just tap, uh, type in Pat Tian, uh, T-E-A-H-A-N, keep me honest, um, your YouTube channel will pull up, and you put yep. some cool videos out there, including some short ones, because I think short videos are important because, um, you know, all of our attention spans are a lot shorter these days, it seems like, but... Talk to us a little bit about the, the auto drops. I think you mentioned it before, but you've kind of really started to, to sell these products now. 
Yeah, I have. So originally, I was just originally just started making videos for. It started out as if someone would have a general question, right? So I would just, you know, do a quick little video and I put them on Facebook and then, you know, they disappear off Facebook after two or three days. So then I kind of went back in my archives and found all of my videos I've made over the course of multiple years and started cataloging them and getting them together. So, and I've actually been building up kind of just, you know, a kind of a technical database of some of the mods and quirks and whatnot with these cars. But with the auto dropped, it started out with the B pillar delete. Um, and as you probably know, the, it's not the easiest conversion on the 64s and 5s. You gotta do custom glass and custom trim. So you get your tracks and your frames from a, from a vert. Um, but anything else, custom glass, custom trim, um, have to be made. So I found a great glass shop and a great, uh, a motorcycle shop that would do the stainless for me. But then you still gotta do the auto drop. Uh, otherwise if you open the back door when the windows are up, your windows bind. It binds on the front door, right? Like a vert. So you needed to drop the windows. So I looked at, I picked up the original auto drop from uh, from a donor from a '65, and I kind of, you know, futzed around with it for a while, and I just didn't like it. wasn't feeling it. It is, they just never were great. I mean, they're great. They work great. I mean, they work great as long as they work great. But then once they break, then you know they're you know, not the easiest to get back to life again and to get parts for. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going to forge my own path. I'm going to look at using an Arduino to do it. So uh, Constantine uh, ha- had a buddy who was great doing um, doing C. So the three of us hooked up and uh, we worked on a project uh, or a sketch for uh, on Arduino uh, and developed a system for auto dropping uh, the rear windows. So it worked really good. Really low power consumption. I mean, it's a it's a relatively it's a, it's a very easy kit to install, especially compared to trying to install the factory vert stuff. It would, uh, it has two position switches, one that's on the latch, one that's on the lower limit of the window, and then uh, it's got just little two little pot screws so you can adjust the amount of time the window runs down and the window runs up when you open and close the door, uh, and then it's got a lockout. So if the windows, if your doors are closed and your windows are all the way down, uh, if your doors are open your windows are all the way down, you close the door, you don't want your window rolling up. It could be stupid. The whole point is you want your windows down, right? So then... When you close the door, it kind of bypasses the system and leaves your windows down. But as soon as your windows are up three quarters of the way, pretty much anything above, anything above all the way down, it'll roll up. So it, uh, it started out just as a project for my own car, never with really any intention of producing or selling or doing anything with them other than just salt, you know, a stock gap in my car. Uh, and then lo and behold, post some videos on YouTube, post some videos on Facebook, and then there's tons of guys that are out there that either want to do the B-pillar delete, uh, that we're looking for kits, and then there's a lot of guys with 64 and 5, uh, verts that, uh, their system's not working or it's out of sync or they've just lost hope and trying to ever get it working right that reached out to me. So one thing leads to another. So I built several, probably like a dozen or so of these kits. Um, sold and shipped all over the world. So I've got some that have gone, you know, across the ocean, most of them into the States, few throughout Canada. So took the, uh, I had been buying parts in like, you know, December and January was kind of when it first started up. So then I was manufacturing them in the winter. I mean, it's cold. There's nothing to do, especially up here in the winter. So I was building those February, March, kind of April-ish. But then when COVID hit and then the borders closed and shipping came to a screeching halt, I could no longer get parts. So pretty much I burned through my supply of parts that I had uh, and kind of stopped making them available in May-ish was kind of when I ran out of parts, just like just could not get parts anymore. Nothing was coming across anymore. So 
figured whatever, I'll take the summer off, but I've been starting to rebuy parts now. So I'm, I'm starting to get my inventory of all my parts back together. So I'm probably going to start producing them uh, again this fall. So I got a, a few people that have been asking. I'm going to start getting those together for them. And after that, I'm going to start exploring uh, some of the other model years. So I built one uh, set for uh, for a 61. Uh, and the 61 twos are the most complicated style because they don't really have a good way of uh, detecting the door position. Uh, 63, and well, and the 61s and twos have a wonky window switch that have a fourth wire. You have to energize the window motor as well as the, the direction up and down. 63s have a similar motor to the fours and fives where it's just basically a reversing, so you don't have to have an extra set of relays to energize the motor. You just have to send it up or down, but they still have a wonky position switch, so it's still a little more complicated, but it's not as complicated as the 61s and twos, so kind of once I get through the few people that I have left in queue for the fours and fives, I'm going to start building the ones for the 63s and then just kind of, and then do the 61s and twos after that. So I have had some inquiries about the 66 and ups and one of the problems I've got here in Canada is there's no cars around me. Like I think the closest 66 to me is probably at least an hour and a half, if not two hours away. So it's not that I can just pop over and pop the door panel off and have a look and, you know, I, I, like I need to have hands on. So some people online have been great. I've spent hours, you know, doing FaceTime or whatever with people and getting people to measure and check things or whatever. And I've built kind of like developer kind of setups for the 6123. It's kind of how I got that. But it's it's so hard without having your hands on the actual car to, you know, make proper templates and whatnot. I don't, I don't like selling an incomplete right. product. So I want to. Yep. Right. I want to make sure I've got everything before I really kind of dive into the sixty-one, two, threes. Yeah, it makes sense. And going back just a little bit, for, you know, you, you you kind of had a lot there to unpack, and I think it's it's awesome. Um, keep me honest and, and talk to us a little bit about what Adreno is. Uh, people can go out and, and search on their favorite search engine, A R D U I N O. I think I'm saying it right, Adreno. And um, it's yeah. an open source. Arduino. Yeah, yeah, Arduino. Arduino. Yeah. Thank you, Arduino. So let me make sure I say that right. Arduino. It's an open source electronic platform, right? Based on easy to use hardware and software. So if you think, you know, keep me honest, Pat. Back in the day, you know, with programming, it's become easier and easier and easier. Now, granted, not everybody can do it, but it's became easier. I think we all agree than it was maybe you know in the seventies, eighties, nineties, so on and so forth. So. Uh, talk to us a little bit about you know someone that's like, well, what, what are they talking about trying to fix my auto drops? Like with with electronics, uh, it's like a little computer module, right? And you're training it, you're programming it, if you will, to do a certain function, correct? Yeah, that's right. So it's it's a programmable logic controller, and if you look them up on eBay, they're like two or three dollars. They're they're maybe the size of your thumb, but I mean only as thick as you know a sixteenth of an inch with a few little chips on them. You plug a USB cord into it, and you plug it into your computer, and you write some code. And um, it, it kind of uses a modified version of C++. So, and I took computer engineering and electro engineering technology and stuff like that back in college, back in the late nineties, early two thousand. I took some some C and some C++ back then. So, and it was kind of one of those things. Twenty years ago, I'm like, I'm never going to use this crap. So then. <laughs> Here I am, 20 years later, being like, oh, my God, I remember writing stuff that's similar to this. So things start coming back to you, and then the more you dig, and I like, oh, I remember doing, like, these calls and these functions and, like, if, ands, ors, and stuff like that. Eh? So it, it it slowly comes back to you. So 
And the Arduinos are pretty cool too. So they have, there's all different styles of them. There's little tiny ones, there's great big ones, depending on how many inputs and outputs you want. But I use mostly the Nanos, and they have like a half a dozen um, where they can do uh, like PWM input output. So they're not just off or on, they do variables. So you can do variable inputs, variable outputs. Then they have like another dozen or so IOs, so you can configure a pin to be either zero or five volts. So you can have that as either an input or an output, it's just how you configure it. So then you can have it. So essentially, what my Arduino is doing is it's checking the position. It has a switch. It's checking the position. Is it open or closed? And you know, once it's closed, and then all of a sudden it opens because your door's closed, and then you're opening your door. Then trigger the relay that runs the window down. You know, for a set amount of time, and then when the when the window when the door switch changes from open back to closed, then instead fire the relay that runs the window up. So, and then I've added some variables and stuff like that in there. So that, cause some people's windows run a little bit faster than other people. So you don't want it not coming down far enough and still binding or you, or if it's, you're closing it you, and it doesn't go all the way up, there's some adjustability. So I've added a uh, little potentiometer so people can kind of dial it in. I sort of, I set them sort of at what I found works well for me. But if people find that they're not quite working well enough for them, they can kind of tweak it a little bit. And I've made videos that I put on my YouTube just to kind of show people. Uh, I put one of my uh, kits in debugging mode, so that way you can kind of see, like, as I'm turning the screw, what's actually happening. Uh, but when I ship them out, I don't put, I don't leave them in debugging just because debugging uses a lot of power, and obviously I want them to like just barely sip power when they're when they're idle. Um, whereas in debugging, they're using quite a fair bit of power because they're constantly communicating as opposed to only performing a function when a state changes. Yeah, understood. And, you know, for I've been really trying to promote the Lincoln Attic podcast for anyone that's out there that's kind of new or, you know, many of us, you know, a lot of people say these are their dream cars and, you know, you want to eventually own one. What we're talking about is in 61 when Lincoln rolled out their kind of the new Continental, if you will, the redesign, they basically had the convertible, as we all know, from basically 61 through 67. Well, in those years, when you have a convertible, the way it works is when you push, like let's say you're going to open the rear door and your top is up. When you push the button to open the door, the rear door, right, the suicide door, you basically have your window that drops. So we talked to Jim Brewer about that. We talked to John Cashman a little bit about it. And when it drops, that allows you to open the door. And then when you close it, the window, um, the window, you know, is dropped, and then it goes back up to to perfectly seal it. And that was their way, at least thinking, hey, we can seal the cars up. You know, you you don't want to have the road noise as much as possible. You know, all that stuff. You know, all the innovation that we all know that they tried to put into these cars. And you know, uh, Pat, it's no secret. You know, talking to John Cashman and some other guys is you. You basically, if you're an owner of one of these convertibles, at some point you're gonna have to do some maintenance to the auto drops. Like even if they work, you know, John talked about kind of the relays and do you hear the click? And if you don't, then you know you, you basically like in my car right now, mine pretty much work. You know, for the most part, one's a little. You know, you gotta shut the door a little bit, like perfectly, and then it will go back up. But what's happening in my car, and I haven't addressed it yet, is I basically disconnect the battery every time I'm going to either store the car for a week or two weeks. If I leave my battery connected, my battery within a day, my and they're optim, I use an Optima battery, love those batteries, but we all know on the Optima batteries, if you drain those things down a couple times and you don't have the right charger and you don't set it up right, those things are going to be dead. And what I found, I mean, my my 
gut feeling is that my auto drops are contributing to that. When you go with this this um, option that you're talking about that you, that you created, does it help to eliminate some of that, or do do you still have the challenge with the relay and that type of thing? No, I mean it only uses power when it's changing state, when it's idle and it's listening. So when it's just kind of waiting for the position of the door to change, either you know from open to close or from close to open, it's only drawing like less than seven milliamps, and then that includes the power converter as well as the Arduino's standby state, and then everything else uh, is just kind of asleep. So it draws like very very little power. Um, so I mean it would it would take months essentially for seven milliamps to to mm-hmm. kill a battery. Uh, I think a typical car like even a, like a these Lincolns, I think, are usually 20 to 40 milliamps. It's just the natural parasitic draw. Modern cars, you know, draw more power than that. So if it was more than a month or so, I mean, it could start to pull the battery down, but it's not like – that's the other one of the quirks, too, I think, with the factory auto drops is that – I remember John Cashman talking about that if you have – if your windows are up and you open your doors and the windows auto drop, while the windows are halfway down, it's drawing a fair amount of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he always said that if you're going to leave your rear doors open to roll your windows all the way down, because that kind of bypasses whatever that, how that function works. So I'm not, I don't completely understand it. I've not really spent a lot of time looking into it, mm-hmm. um, but I remember him talking about it. So I know that's one of those other things that you avoid, um, but by doing it the way that I've been uh, kind of doing it. Yep, understood. And and it is kind of complicated. I mean, I think we all agree the cars are complicated. If it's if it's not a Blair Farmer, John Cashman, I mean, even Nathan Wilson's done a fantastic job, as I mentioned, on his YouTube channel, kind of breaking down some of the things. Let me ask you this. Let's say you've got a, a kind of a an average Joe that has a convertible. Uh, I kind of feel like, you know, I know my way around taking door panels off, things like that. Uh, and he or she wants to take your kit and purchase it and install it, what would you, you know, one to ten, what would you rank, like one being the easiest, ten being the toughest, what number would you kind of rank for the average Joe if they bought these and then he or she wants to install them on their convertible? Um, You know, what's your take on that? Yeah, so it's it's different, actually, between a convertible – and a sedan. Like in a sedan, it's like a two. It's super easy. It's you got window up, window down, and I mean you're just grabbing the signal right off of the back of the window switch and then twelve volts and ground. And then there's two, like I said, a switch for to detect when the window's all the way down, a switch to detect whether the doors are closed. I mean it's pre drilled, you just kinda of put them where I tell you to put them and then you you bend the the switches a little bit because every car is a little tiny bit different, right? So it's it's significantly easier. The quirk with convertibles is that the factory auto drop actually interrupts the signal to the rear window switches. So it's not as easy as a sedan because you're not just splicing in, right? You can't just piggyback on a factory. Like a convertible, you're probably at least a sixth. You've got to have a little more knowledge of electrical. Part of the problem, too, is that you can't leave your factory auto drop relays and current limiting sensors and stuff like that in because the two systems try and conflict with each other. And then that gets compounded when a lot of the time people are replacing their factory auto drop because it doesn't work, right? So my kit's kind of based on clean slate. Everything's working. You're just putting it in. But then if you have problems, you kind of got to, you don't have to solve the problems, but you have to like take all that junk out. So essentially what you're doing is removing all of the factory auto drop stuff 
But then what that happens is that it leaves your rear window switches dead, so then you have to bring your rear window switches back to life. So I have a diagram for people that have convertibles. It's, it's like three connectors that you have to make and then a ground wire that you have to add to the motor on each side. So and it's pretty easy to track down because you can do it right at the plug um, for the factory auto drop. So you would unplug the factory relays. And then I have a diagram where you just jump from like pin one to pin three on this relay or whatever. And there's three of them uh, that you do. And then that kind of puts the rear window switches as if it was like a sedan where the rear window switches just kind of work all the time. They're not being interrupted by the process of the rear door, the rear window auto drop function happening. And then mine would just then go on top, and then it, it works completely standalone from there. Understood, understood. So, yeah, you could have a local professional or someone that, you know, if you if you didn't feel comfortable doing it, uh, maybe a friend or someone that, that knows their way around, you know, a little bit of electronics and, and that type of thing. Now, so some of the listeners might be out there. And they're yeah, going, for the convertibles, you would want to have somebody with a little bit of electrical knowledge who's doing it and who can read a schematic and use a voltmeter and can find, you know, and can find a signal and whatnot. Whereas with a sedan, you're just matching up colors. So there, you don't need to be, you don't need the electrical background really to to hook it up in a sedan. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the listeners might be out there, and they're going, "Well, now wait a minute, he's talking about a sedan." So, you know, when Pat was talking a little bit earlier about the B-pillar delete, you basically have, uh, you know, many of us know, if you've been around cars a long time, the four-door cars, like in the hot rod world, I mean, a lot of cars, you you know, the four-doors aren't, I don't know, by some people's standards, I like four-doors in some, but you'll look at some four-door cars and you're just like, man, that's not it. You know, you just, like a a, a 70s four-door, you know, car you know a lot of them even the chevys you know they're just like they're kind of ugly right even the late 60s and and you know the impalas right i mean if you have a 63 impala you want to have a two-door you don't want the four-door you just don't but with um with the four doors the ones that are quote cooler are some of the ones that don't have that b pillar so what happens is when you have all four windows rolled down you could put your hand and move it front to back between the front door and the rear door and there's no pillar there and you kind of just have this big open space, right? It's pretty freaking cool. And if you're like me, I do actually like four doors. Um, you know, some of the Cadillacs, of course, dare I say that here on this podcast. But you get what I'm saying. So what what's happened is in the Lincoln world, um, you know, many years ago, someone was like, hey, you can take um, from 61 through 65, you can basically take and purchase convertible rear glass. So you got to go to like a parts vendor or someone like Tony Boss Bolin, uh, Lincoln Land, if you will, in the uh, Lincoln Land or Boss Bolin. You can go to these guys, and if they have a parts card, they can take the convertible rear glass, and then you take out your glass in your rear doors. You install the convertible rear glass because it goes up a little bit further because, for those scoring at home, the convertibles don't have that B pillar right in the middle. So, you know, what Pat's kind of reinforcing is in that mod, if you will, that we kind of call it, the folks are with a sedan, they're taking out that B pillar, they're installing the rear convertible glass, and then by doing that, they're going, well, hey, um, I want to have the auto drop too. So, you know, Pat, keep me honest, on the sedans, if you put the auto drop there, based upon the way the convertible glass is, does it still kind of get hung up 
when you try to open the door if you don't have the auto drop or is it more just guys and, and ladies wanting to kind of make the auto drop because they did the B pillar delete? No, it, it basically becomes the same thing as like a vert. Like the the rear glass will, if you if you don't have the auto drop, you have to roll down the rear windows in order for it to bit. open. So there's a piece of weather stripping that's attached to the rear window that kind of tucks behind the front window. So it'll tangle up, and then. But even if you roll the window down a little bit to to like separate the weather stripping seal, the actual frame of the window still kind of protrudes forward almost into the front door. Um, so it'll tangle up in the body there too. So you need to roll the rear window down about two inches. Uh, and then what happens is when the window's coming down, like you know with a vert, but when the window's coming down, it kind of sucks back as it drops down during the first two inches. And then past that two inches, then it just goes straight down. Right? So then as it's coming up, it comes up 80% of the way, and then it kind of travels on like a 45. So it comes straight up, and then all of a sudden it moves forward and up uh, to like create that seal with the front door. So it's it's exactly identical to a vert the the way that it works and I mean even the B pillar caps like you can take the B pillar cap off of a vert put it on a sedan and it's not like you have to do a massive amount of chopping or some crazy thing like that there's a couple of spot wells you drill out and the actual center section or the top section of the B pillar post comes out and then the convertible caps just like screw right on like they belong there. And the channel, like, I swear these cars were never designed to have a B-pillar. Like, it was added after the fact only by the bean counters to cut down on the cost to have an auto drop. But, like, the channel for where weather stripping is is above the factory B-pillar, uh, the post. So when you take the post out, there's actually a groove there that you can continue. You can get a piece of uh, just bulk weather stripping from steel rubber, and you can just replace your entire weather seal with one continuous piece that goes right from the front to the back. Uh, and it goes right through the channel that was above the B pillar. Like these cars were never meant to have a B pillar. Like I swear, like the, it was a it was an afterthought. It was something just to reduce costs. I I honestly feel so taking it out and then all of the convertible the the frame and the tracks from a vert they bolt right in. There's actually in the rear doors on a sedan. There's two sets of holes and you just put them in the other holes where the vert track goes, uh, and then the frame fits right in there and then like it just you close the door and it lines up it's like it's meant to be there it definitely does and if you go out as i mentioned and you look up pat tian on face or excuse me on youtube you'll see one of the videos where he uh, takes out the b pillar he kind of shows after he's taken it out and you know he mentions because there was kind of i don't want to call it a wives tale it's kind of a a thing that went around for a while. They're like, oh, you know, that's a structural thing. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't want to take that out. And what Pat kind of shows in there is like, dude, there's no way this thing is structural. It's just like this little piece of metal. And, um, you know, so some people, you might be thinking, well, hey, why can't I just take the B-pillar out? Well, what happens the way um, Ford, Lincoln, Mercury uh, set these cars up is, as I mentioned, the rear convertible glass is um, – it's a little bit different. Um, it's the measurements are a little bit wider, right? And because of that, the B pillar isn't on the convertible, so that when the the glass comes together, it totally seals it. Now I've seen people go, well, you know, I can basically take out mine, and I, I forget who did this, um, Pat. You may remember, but there was someone early on that was like, well, I'm going to take out the B pillar, and I'm going to have it set up where I can just kind of stick it back in there. But keep me honest, you have to you have to yeah. you have to cut it, don't you? You have to get like a sawzall 
and, and this is going to freak some people out, but you have to cut that piece out. So the only way to put it back on there is like Velcro or something, right? Yeah, well, it's it's just spot welded in, so it it comes out reasonably easily. That's why um, you don't really have to. It's, you know, there's no angle grinders or sawzalls or anything involved, but you do have to drill out some spot welds. So, I mean, it, it yeah, does come out. You have, it does a little bit of work. It doesn't just unbolt right, but it, there is a bit of work to get it out. Um, but yeah, I have seen uh, there are quite a few members that have done the kind of removable, so they have the kind of the look and the feel of not having the B pillar. But then when they do put the windows up. The uh, your, their pillar is held in with like pins or clips or magnets or something to that effect. So then that way it it gives you back the the weather sealing. Otherwise, when your windows are up, you've got about an inch gap between your front and rear window that just reaches into the cabin. Excellent. So again, for someone out there that's kind of maybe doing a resto mod or you want to change the look of your sedan you can do this uh, i love it personally and it's funny uh, if you've been listening to the podcast you know you know our little saying is on to rise which is a spinoff of what tony boss Bowen came up with but i say that uh because if you go on instagram and you type in b uh pillar deletes with an s i think it's b um i have to find it here but i think it's b pillar deletes on to rise and um that will uh, kind of curate all of those uh, photos. And uh, then you can get a chance to see exactly what we're talking about. There's a guy locally, uh, John, really good dude on Instagram. He's uh, the Grassy Knoll. I always uh, just type in Grassy. It's uh, the Grassy Knoll 6-1. Now, his car uh, came from a guy over in Orlando, and he had at the time – when you know drove over as many guys would do down here is they would drive over and see Tim Nill rest in peace. They'd he'd see Tim Nill over at uh, the Lincoln Ranch, and that's where he picked up the convertible rear glass for the green sixty one that John now owns. And I tell you what, seeing that at a show and uh, seeing the the B pillar deleted on it, man, it just gives it that. I mean, it, I mean, I already love the cars as many of us do, but just with that B pillar delete and all the windows down and it laid out, it just looks spot on, man. Yeah, man, it it completely cleans up the look of the car. It, it was the one, it's the one thing that I I don't think the designers got right. So I mean, it's it's the only spot where where cosmetically, uh, it's a it's a huge improvement. Yeah, definitely. So talk to us a little bit about. I know that was like kind of a lot to unpack for some of the listeners, but you know some of the other things that you might have going on with your car. I mean, I see the short videos that you're doing. I see you're out cruising it. You know, how's the Fitech working, and are there any other things that you've kind of done or you're getting ready to tackle on the car over the winter season? Yeah, dude, I've been up to a lot this year, especially with being stuck at home. So there's, I've had a lot going on. I converted my windshield wipers to electric. I uh, use a Jeep, uh, Jeep Wrangler motor, and, I mean, you can get the motors on eBay pretty cheap. So I uh, converted to that, got rid of the uh, the power steering-driven wiper motor, Um did all my LED bulb conversion wheels. The like the five tech is running great. I had a problem where I got a, a bad tank of gas and it sucked up some dirt and it got past my fuel filter and destroyed my injectors and regulator. But I mean, it's not five tech's fault, right? I got a bad tank of gas. So, yeah. but in, in, I was shocked when I called up five tech to be like, "Hey, I want to buy you know four new injectors," and they were just like, "You know what? Don't worry about it." And they they covered it. And I'm I'm well out of warranty. My system's like more than three years old, and they took care of me. So I mean. The, that was pretty awesome. So put them in. The computer did some relearning, and I mean, it's been running running like a champ ever since. Excellent. So I uh, yeah, did a lot of cleaning this year, and 
interior work and yeah, a lot of a lot of farting around with the still more with the uh the Arduino. So I, I wrote an app and I wrote some uh more uh companion, you know, functions for the car so I can roll down my windows from an app that I wrote on my phone and I can pop my trunk and I can do my uh locks and turn my radio on and everything. So been been pretty bored being locked down. So learning all kinds of new programming languages right now. Well, no offense. We hope that you have to stay locked down a lot longer because you keep coming up with some cool stuff. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, no, that's <laughs> yeah, you're really doing some awesome things. And, and oh, by the way, the the hashtag is pillar p i l l a r pillar deletes with an s on derive. So it's a little spinoff of our kind of famous saying. You'll see uh, really a couple. There's a local a gal. Uh, Rihanna, she has, uh, she's got the B pillar delete. John, of course, other guys, and of course Pat as well. But yeah, man, getting back to kind of what you were just covering, you're you're seemingly always kind of up to something. And I I want to finish a document. I I kind of already put out some of it in the LincolnForum.net under my build thread, uh, Project Smugglers Blues. But when you mentioned the bulbs, you know anybody that's a 64, 65 owner. There are so many bulbs, and just when you feel like you know you've got the dash apart, which for for a newcomer is a little bit of work, but once you get the dash apart, and then you got the lower dash and all that, you, you think that you've got all the bulbs, and then you just find out there's one more, and that one last one for me was the radio. And although I'm not going to use the factory radio, I haven't updated the guts, if you will, to Bluetooth and all that. I'm just going to kind of have a separate. A little Bluetooth receiver, if you I guess call it that, in the ashtray. Uh, a few guys have done that, including Tony. And what, um, but what I wanted to do, Pat, is I wanted to be able to have like in the car. I didn't want to be like, oh man, there's one bulb I missed. So getting back to my point, there's a lot of bulbs in the dash, the door panels, and everything in these cars, isn't there? Oh my God, is there ever? I think. I don't remember exact numbers. I did mine. I think it was back in the winter when I did mine, but it's somewhere in the ballpark of 45 bulbs. Like there's like 20 in the dash. And then like you said, there's like always one obscure bulb that you forget about, right? There's the (laughs) one for like the gear selector. There's one behind the wiper switch. There's one behind the ignition switch, right? There's one in every ashtray. They're in the bottoms of the doors, like in in the sedans, they're in the C pillars. You got two bulbs in your map lights, right? So it's just like on and on and on and on with the bulbs and in the glove box, right? So, I mean, they're, they're just everywhere. So with me, I, and then you got your headlights and taillights and markers and signals and reverse lights and all that other stuff. You got your trunk lights. So it's just like bulbs and bulbs and bulbs and bulbs. And bulbs. It's crazy. So with me, I had all of mine done. And then, you know, you find one. It's like, oh, man, all right, I'll pull the steering wheel off. And I'll do the one that's in the shifter column. All right, I got the last bulb. That's great. All right. So then it was like a month later, I was doing something under the car. And I had the rear end jacked up. I'm like, are you... I missed the one for like the license plate, right. like bulb. It's like there's always another bulb. Like I, every time you turn around, there's another freaking bulb on these cars. So yeah, I think my last count, like I said, I think I was in the ballpark of 45 bulbs for a sedan. It's just incredible the amount of bulbs in these things. Yeah, it, when I had posted, uh, if you go to the LincolnForum.net, which is still a great resource, and um, once you go in there, you'll click. Uh, you have to kind of scroll down. And you'll see where there's updating, modernizing, and customizing. And then at the top, once you get into there, you'll see customized member projects. And on mine, I want to say it was around page like 10 or whatever, I had kind of put together a document. And I tried to kind of call out all the bulbs, at least on my 64. And it was like, I remember when Tony was doing this on his 65, which is 
almost identical. It was like getting to the one behind the speedometer was a pain in his. And then, of course, you got the couple behind the clock, and then you got, you know, the AC control. There's one or two there. And really, like you said, Pat, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, it's, man, there's a lot of these bulbs in there. But it's nice. They don't they don't use as much power. They don't seem to get as hot and all that stuff. And, and I just, even though I kind of like the, the look of the old ones, uh, I tell people all the time, if you go to Nathan Wilson's uh, Driving Dreams Restorations, if you go to his YouTube page, he does a side-by-side comparison of two convertibles, I think it is, at night. And he does a great job of this side-by-side. And it is night and day, literally, pun intended, when you go to these LED bulbs, man. Yeah, it sure is, man. They, there's just so many of them. And, and a lot of the modern LED bulbs, too, are dimmable, which is incredible. Like, if you can turn the your headlight you know, stock and actually turn them down. Like they look amazing, but the one of the things, one of the pitfalls, I guess, of LEDs are so bright to have when you're driving down the road at night and it's dark and you got 20 LEDs shining in your eyes, it's blinding, but they're actually dimmable. So yes. they'll, they'll cut the power down, they'll cut the brightness down almost in half. So, I mean, the technology even on those little LED bulbs has come along a long way. Absolutely. Now the, one of the number one questions I get and, um, I kind of had it answered easily, but when you go to the LincolnForum.net and you go into the build thread, and I did confirm it's on page 10, and you kind of scroll down on mine, you'll see where I start to kind of call out, and I'll eventually put a little bit more time, which I just don't have right now, but I'll put a little bit more time in to kind of finish in the document and point it out every single ball. But I say all that because a question I'm sure, Pat, that you've got a lot too is, well, what bulb should I use? Well, what happened is I had them hyperlinked over to Amazon, which is where I purchased all of mine. Uh, you know, with Amazon Prime, it just they arrive so quick, I'm good to go go into that uh, retailer. But um, the easiest, one of the things people can do, and I think they kind of forget because they're like, well, I don't want to start pull- pulling it apart. Look, once you've committed to pulling the dash apart, you basically start taking, you know, you take out a bulb and you can look at that number on there. And that number, a lot of times when you go on Amazon, you'll just type that in and it'll convert, you know, there'll be a bulb that fits like 50 different, I don't want to say part numbers per se, but like 50 different bulbs yeah. are that one bulb, you know, and that was, that was easy for me to, to, to kind of follow that method. Yeah, I did the exact same thing when I pulled mine out because I really didn't know what bulbs I was going to be you know, faced with once I got in there. So I'd pull a bulb out and you get the number off of the bulb. And it, it, there, there were part numbers that Ford used, you know, 50 odd years ago that those part numbers don't exist really anymore. But then they cross reference over to a modern bulb that's similar enough that it fits and it's about the right brightness and whatnot. So yeah, I did the exact same thing. Yeah. And there's, I think at least in mine, I've done the dash, I've done all four, the lower courtesy lights in the door panels. And, um, for me, I think I ended up with like a four different bulbs. Like I had to get some snubby ones for you mentioned the where the windshield wiper switches in four and five, and then the ignition. When you pop off those little blue things, which are kind of a pain to get off, I think you'll have to end up. I, I'm going to have to end up gluing a couple back on. But there's a little blue uh, piece that's behind the bulb that you have to kind of pop off. And um, long story short, if you um, what was I thinking here? Oh, some of those you can't use the regular length bulb, at least I couldn't. Um, and when I say that is, like if you end up buying one of the bulbs that fits like, let's say 90% of your dash bulbs, well, then you'll have one where you can't put the little cap back on because the bulb is too long. 
So then I went back on YouTube and I was look or not YouTube. I went back on Amazon and I was looking for literally the same kind of bulb uh, uh, plug, if you will, but one that was just a little shorter, snub nose. Yeah, I I kind of had the same. The one for the I know exactly the bulb you're talking about, Jay. The one for the uh, the power locks. Yeah, the one that's right beside it. That it's just that little bugger bulb. So I did the same thing, man. I bought all. I bought like twenty of everything. They didn't know. <coughs> Didn't know what I needed. I ended up cutting that bulb down. <coughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I ended up taking the bulb apart and trimming it to make it fit. Yep, yep. And um, so cool stuff there. Now, you mentioned a lot of other things going on. One thing I think is uh, that I cannot stress this enough, public, ser- public service announcement, a.k.a. Uh, PSA, because everything is an acronym and shorter in today's society, but PSA, or public service announcement, in 6465, um, and I've heard some people that have heard it on this podcast, you have to upgrade your amp gauge. So if you if you own one of these cars, it's been your family a long time, you acquired it, you purchased it 10, 15 years ago, or six months ago, uh, please, you have to, uh, the amp gauge, you have to update it. So you got three options. You can, uh, in all of them pretty much, you know, are going to cause you to have to take your dash apart, okay? And it's not that hard. That's going to trigger you to want to probably do the bulbs at the same time, kind of do it like Pat and I did. But you you can bypass it, which you have to take the gauge out and you have to solder the two wires together. I mean, you could use a big butt connector, but my buddy and I, we just soldered it together. You can um, uh, basically update it, have it rebuilt by a professional. I know Blair Farmer in Florida, he offers a service where he'll basically kind of recode it and, and clean it up and make sure that it's getting a good connection through there so that it doesn't cause a fire. Or, of course, you can go, dare I say, to the aftermarket, like a Dakota Digital, which I love their products. That's an option out there. But, Pat, I, I was really intrigued when you had updated yours, and I tried to do your method. I'll be honest, man. I bought the same boat gauge, which is going to sound crazy to folks, but I bought the same go- boat gauge and... I took the guts out just like you did, and I followed your thing, and I just don't have the patience. But I tell you what, I I kept at it. I really, really did, and I could not get, even though I felt like it was seated about right where the only place it could be, I could not get the gauge to seat back in there. And, man, I tell you what, I got to tip my cap because you took that boat gauge, and you basically put the guts in to your amp gauge, and now it's a voltmeter, volt gauge. Yeah, yeah, dude. Like it, it was like a seventeen dollar volt gauge that I got on Amazon, and uh, just finding one that had about the right sweep and about the right color needle. And I think I linked to it a couple of different places on the Lincoln forum and a couple of other places as well. And yeah, it was funny because it was one of the very first mods that I did to my car. It was before it was when I first got my car. I think I, I had just signed up on the Lincoln forum and. I kind of got the car, and I kind of went on there and said, hey, I'm new. What do I do with this thing? And everybody on there is like, uh, change your timing set and bypass your amp gauge. Like, okay. So I got in and pulled the amp gauge out, to only to find uh, when I took my dash off and pulled the amp gauge out, mine had been on fire at some point in time in its life. So the uh, that metal backing plate that the gauge is attached to is like charred, and the actual plastic uh, part that has the like the amp, like the little lines to kind of indicate where the needle's pointing at, was all melted and everything. So, oh my god, like glad I got to this thing. So, and mine hadn't been bypassed, so it must have been on fire. And then I don't know, they put the fire back out and put <laughs> the wires back up and kept cruising that way. It was crazy. So, 
bypass the amp gauge. So then, you know, I had a dead gauge, and that was never good enough for me. So I was like, well, I'm going to convert the thing to a volt gauge. So I kind of asked around, and nobody had really seen or anything like what I was talking about. I was like, well, you know what, I'm going to forge my own path. So that's when I found that boat gauge and tore it apart and just kind of cutting and trimming and tweaking and so on. And then eventually I got it to fit and have the right sweep, and then it was more of just little more tweaking to get it to fit back inside of the bezel and then from the bezel back inside of the uh, dash and and now it's all together you would never know that it's anything other than the factory gauge like it looks it looks perfect it's got the the orange is like dead on the length of the needle is dead on like even the shape of the needle is exact and i mean when you're cruising like uh, on a normal day it's just a little bit above half where you expect a needle to be right cuz everything's running good and then if like my compressors or something like that are running for my uh for the air ride it'll be just a little below half so i mean it operates just like a like a gauge should so yeah i'm pretty happy with the results yeah and uh, someone had asked me on um which i had talked about earlier on my youtube channel for Lincoln Attic so i'm trying to ramp up more content uh, Pat and I, of course, talked about that earlier too. But someone had asked her, like, "Well, what causes it?" And, and look, I'm not, um, you know, my dad was he he could use you know old meters and voltmeters, and he used that stuff a lot in his work and whatnot. And I never became an expert with it. But the best thing I could say is, you know, a lot of us know that like when a wire or a battery cable gets really frail, it doesn't have the way I look at it, it doesn't have the bandwidth to carry that power through it. And the the thing that you know Pat has always reinforced, and he has a, a cool build thread out on uh, the LincolnForum.net as well, is you have to think about all of the power uh, is coming from your engine bay in through the car, and it's coming through. I, f- I forget if it's like an eight gauge wire, something like that, eight ten gauge, and all of that yep. power is coming. Yeah, I think it's like ten gauge. Yeah, it's about ten gauge, and all of that power is coming through the amp the amp gauge. And what happens is over time, if you were to look at the back of one, the, it's it's very kind of primitive when you look at you know how things were made you know back then. So what what happens is that has to be like that has to be insulated and whatnot. And as that thing over the time with heat and the power coming through it and this and that is it just gets. I mean, I don't even know what word to describe it. It, it just gets kind of frail. You know what I mean? So all that power that's going through there. And some people are like, ah, yeah, it'll be fine. Listen, it, three years ago, uh, it was a real tough time for me personally with the things I had going on in my life. I was driving uh, back. Um, we were getting ready to go to a car show the next morning. And Tony goes, well, go ahead and take the 65 home. And then he was staying back to finish working on his other 65. And, dude, I was driving. And I, it, it seemed like, man, I was like, man, I kind of can't really see here. And it seemed like the headlights had kind of went out, but I, I just had a lot going through my mind. So I was like, yeah, whatever, I'm just driving. Some guy comes by, it's like 10 o'clock at night, and you know, I thought he's like waving, hey, man, nice car, top down, you know, whatever. And he's trying to signal me like, you know, get all, you know, you need to pull over. So I'm like, ah. So at this point, I'm in a place where there's no like um, uh, street lights. And I'm like, man, it's really dark. So all of a sudden, the car lose, like lost basically total power. So I pull in, ironically, into like a uh, repair shop, uh, of course, closed at night. And, dude, literally, we come to find out, doing a little bit of investigation over the next day or so, is the, it, it basically had, uh, luckily, we didn't have a fire. But I was literally driving a 65 Lincoln Continental convertible with the top down. It literally, the amp gauge blew out. So, you know, public service announcement, you got you got to remedy that. Yeah, and, and a lot of people say, like, 
Because what it is is it's it's a resistance wire. So I think kind of how it works is just as you draw more current through it, the wire creates a little resistance, which creates a little bit of heat, which is what kind of moves the needle. But then as it gets used and as it gets decayed and it breaks down, it the resistance wire becomes yes. higher resistance, which means you can pull essentially less current through it. And if you try and pull the same amount of current through it, you're producing more heat because you have more resistance. Um, so it's not even just a matter of like, oh, I mean, everything's fine. Well, no, it's not because it's decayed. So, and you got to remember too, the original cars only came with 40 amp alternators. So you were never really going to pull more than like 40 amps through your, through your, uh, amp gauge. But now most people are putting like 100, 140 amps. So not only are you doubling and tripling the current coming off of your alternator, the amount of current that you're able to pass through that gauge, which used to be 40 amps 50 years ago, maybe it can only pass 30 amps now, right? And people are trying to pull modern stereos and air ride and every other thing, right, through that amp gauge. So, like, just if you're going to have a, you know, concourse, bone stock, you're not going to do anything fancy. You're going to have a, just a 40 amp alternator and you're going to, you know, just baby it. And you want an amp gauge, get it rebuilt. But, like, don't risk it with an OG amp gauge. Like they're just a fire waiting to happen. I mean, if you're, if that's not as important to you, you just want to have, you know, a, a safe car, bypass <laughs> it. If you want to have, you know, a safe car with a gauge that gives you some sort of function, then check out like, uh, like Jay said on my, uh, build thread, right. The, uh, on a TLF for, uh, converting that amp gauge in a volt so it's it's not a bad project uh you know it's something you can take a crack at i mean worst case if it doesn't work out you're only owe 17 bucks for the gauge that you got up exactly and i've joked with a couple people i'm like hit up pat man maybe <laughs> for a fee maybe he'll hook you up but i know it's it is a little bit of a pain and the person's got to reinstall it so a lot of folks they may not feel comfortable taking off the upper uh bezel i call it uh, but another thing I wanted to say too is that that's why I got to have guests on like you, Pat, because you said that way more eloquently than I did or I could. So, um, you know, again, I kind of tell people all the time, I don't know everything. I, I try to uh, have, you know, know enough to be dangerous, but, you know, some of my stuff is very primitive on how I try to explain things. But uh, to Pat's point, if you go to the net, the reason why I promote this so much is, you know, not that I've got to deal with them or anything like that, but. Uh, simply because, although, I mean, listen, Facebook is amazing. They've done a lot of stuff. I mean, I love Facebook, and I don't like Facebook, right, in the same kind of token. But the LincolnForum.net, there's there's so much documentation out there. And when you use the search in the upper right and you type in, like, AMP gauge and you start scrolling through, you're going to quickly kind of get to, you know, an issue that someone else had or, you know, a build thread to Pat's point. So uh, good stuff there. Now, you know, Pat, uh, many of us, like car guys, we um, we never consider our car, like, totally done. But I look at your car, you know, I'm looking at your Instagram, uh, Pat T-E-A-H-A-N, T -E -A -H -A -N, and, you know, I look at your car, you got a 64 sedan, awesome wheels, you got the pillar delete, you got the Fitech you mentioned, you got all the LED light upgrades, you got the... Um, you know, the dr auto drops, all that stuff. You can do certain things on your phone. You can unlock your doors and all that. I mean, crazy stuff. I mean, what else is there for? I mean, it seems like you've got the perfect Lincoln life, man. It, yeah, I'm, like you said, though, any hot rodder, like cars are never, ever done. Like, as soon as, as soon as you finish something, like, there's just something else coming down the pipe. And it's not so much fixing things anymore. Like, I think I pretty well, everything is fixed and working right. And, I mean, the car, I love the car. I, I don't ever really want, I don't want to change 
anything that takes away from the nostalgia of it. But there's a few, like, maintenance things I want to do. There's a little bit of interior work I want to do. Like, I want to get a new trunk carpet. Mine's pretty my, – it's funny. My trunk carpet is actually in amazing shape, and my car's in amazing shape because it was always oil-guarded every year for, like, 50 years. Uh, but back in the day, they would use basically, like, axle grease and a spray gun. So my trunk carpet is just destroyed. And not from wear and tear, but it's just saturated in grease. So it's just yep. disgusting. So new trunk carpet. I'm going to do some things like floor mats. Like I don't have floor mats in my car. And I mean, it's just, a, you know, a stupid cosmetic thing. But it's just one of those things I want to do. But for me, the biggest thing that's next on my list is I want to put, I want to do my brakes. So it's it's on four-wheel drum. And I mean, they work fantastic. I've got them dialed in, like new pads on them. And I mean, my drums are true and straight and i've upgraded my master i've upgraded my booster so i've done all the stuff like that so it's safe it's a great car but the nature of drum brakes is the first time you stop they work great and then the second time you stop right you know they get hot and then you got a little bit less brake so i want to do uh the four-wheel disc conversion i think that's going to be the next thing i want to do it's kind of been the thing i've uh it's been in queue this year but with the border being closed it's really hard to get parts across the border without paying, like, absorbent amounts of money and, like, shipping and brokerage and whatnot. So that's fine, whatever. I'm just going to wait until, you know, winter or maybe next spring, and if the border ever reopens, then I can order it and buzz across. I, I live 10 minutes away from the Michigan border, so I have a P.O. box in uh, Port Huron, Michigan. So I just ship everything I need to there, then I just buzz across, pick it up, and carry it back. And sometimes you don't pay tax, sometimes you do, but, I mean, at least you don't get... Four hundred dollars in shipping on top of hundred dollars of hundreds in brokerage, and then you know UPS wants a cut because they handled it, and it's just like prices on parts coming across the border can sometimes double, if not triple, depending on what you're buying and how big it is, and you know as opposed to the free shipping to Port Huron, and then you know four bucks in tolls to go across the bridge, and then maybe not even having to pay tax depending on what kind of mood the guy at the border's at. So that'll, that'll be next when the when the border reopens. Yeah, absolutely, and. Like you said, it's just kind of crazy. We, um, with the other podcast I've mentioned a couple of times here, but on my YouTube channel as well, our lifestyle podcast kind of centered around trucks and custom stuff there. And then, of course, 80s, 90s culture. But we, um, we basically took my S10, which is the Bada Bing truck, and we put it on a skate deck through some of our awesome artwork. And we had um, uh, one of our, you know, we got a lot of good listeners up there, just great people. And um, one of the homies had picked up the skate deck they purchased it and we already had kind of a high price point on the shipping but dude when when my buddy bike shipped it today he told me how much it cost to ship it and i was like man dude like we we paid way more in shipping than uh than we charged and it's just one of those things because we're almost to the point now where you know being a super super small business that we are in terms of uh merchandise it's almost like you you almost can't even ship across the border because it just costs so much. And, you know, some of your, the clients or customers are like, oh, I want a shirt. And, you know, the shirt's 20, 25 bucks. And then, you know, the shipping's 25 and they can't believe it. And it's just, that's the way it is. So it's kind of unfortunate. But, dude, Pat, I mean, we talked about yeah. a lot. You know, I, I know your YouTube channel's, you know, kind of really popping off. You do some admin in the suicide slabs. So I think you do a fantastic job there uh, in that Facebook group. So I tell everyone, if you're a Lincoln, owner go out to suicide slabs uh, it's a closed group but uh man what else are did we maybe not touch on that that may, maybe we should man not a lot really right now i mean i've kind of been taking the summer off and just cruising so i haven't really done a whole lot i, I mean locally i started a car club ironically because uh, i got i don't got enough going on i guess so yeah i started a car club kind of back in like april when the weather was getting decent and 
because you couldn't, there was no shows. Everything on the show for the whole year got canceled. So we're like, well, let's start a cruising club. So, and then it kind of blew up. And so we've got like 600 members in just a couple of, couple of months. And no matter where we go, we've always got a hundred people that come with us. So it's pretty awesome. So now different towns, chamber of commerce now see, oh my God, we can get a hundred cars, old cool cars to come and pack our downtown. And it's kind of become like a tourist thing. So yeah, so kind of started doing that. So I've been posting some pictures on my Instagram lately where my car's in different places at different, you know, historic places and different walkabout events and stuff like that. So it's a, that's kind of been, you know, my last three months been doing that. So, but going back to Suicide Slabs, though, I've been uh, there for a few years with those guys. I mean, fantastic crew over there. I've been building a repository on Suicide Slabs as well, kind of trying to build out a little bit, kind of, like what I have on Lincoln Forum, like and it's like what you said too, man. Like Lincoln Forum's amazing. And like any time I do a build, I do builds on and I post them in like the Slabs Facebook group and then, you know, your post is gone. So then you're posting something else. And then people are like, Well what what's this about, right? Like what's the context? And okay, well like, let me go find the post. It's like, all right, this is insane. Right. So whenever I end up doing a project on Facebook and it's more than just like a you know, a one little thing, like I put new wheels on or whatever, it's kind of like a, a self standing thing. But like when I did the B pillar delete, it was kind of the evolution of two or three months. Or like the Fi tech was the evolution of a couple of weeks, right? Anytime I do something that's kind of like more than one or two posts, it's like, all right, I need to document this because I know there are people out there that, you know, don't want Facebook. So I've documented it on Lincoln Forum. And then also I so many times on Suicide Slabs would be like hey, what's the deal with this? Yeah, let me send you a link to Lincoln Forum. So then I have it all documented yes. out on there. So it's a great place for archiving, and it's a great place for putting things together. And, I mean, it sticks there forever. Like, Lincoln Forum has been there since, like, the 90s, I think. Like, yes. he's, he's been maintaining that site for, like, over 20 years. When I got my car in 2015, and I went on there and searched for oil pump or timing set, I said, oh, my God, this post, people were talking about this 15-odd years ago. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, just a great place for like that gets the it's like the go-to centralized place for historical documentation like you know everything anybody that's you know ever done anything wrong or then anything done right like i mean it's on there so you can you can find it it's fantastic yeah, absolutely so you know definitely go check it out uh pat i know you know you've done a lot we we talked about it last time with the champion radiators and all the stuff that you continue to spearhead it's much it's much appreciated you know the Lincoln community is is kind of, you know, there's a lot of, of cars out there, but it's kind of a tight-knit community, and there's people like you that continue to kind of push the limits, and, you know, some of the stuff you talked about here with the auto drops and the things you're constantly, um, you know, looking to, you know, to do, but also the the, the folks that you've helped in, in Suicide Slabs, LincolnForum.net, you name it, uh, you've helped me personally, I know you've helped Tony several times as well, so, you know, on behalf of Lincoln Attic Podcast, dude, you know, you're our first guest that has been back on a second time and uh, just really enjoy always kind of catching up with you, man, and uh, love your 64 sedan, brother. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you're on Instagram, go out there and type in P-A-T and then a T-E-A-H-A-N. So, so simple. Pat T T E A H A N on Instagram. Give him a follow. Uh, love the photo in front of Imperial kind of the movie theater deal and uh, just look forward to having you back on man you know anytime you want to come on and talk about what you got going on and then I think I'm going to be in the market for the um, the auto drop deals uh, maybe over the winter once you get a few more of those 
And then um, if people do want to purchase those or get in line, should they just message you on Facebook or do you want to give out your email address? Yeah, just message me on Facebook. It's the easiest way. I keep a list of who I'm talking to and same, I get messages on Facebook, Instagram, email, like just through Suicide Slabs, through Lincoln Forum, whatever. It doesn't matter. I keep track of who I'm talking to and kind of what platform I'm talking to them through. Uh, so whatever. But, yeah, Facebook or Instagram is usually the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, and then, you know, I, I kind of I don't take any money up front like that. I mean, I'm only selling them basically to cover my cost and my time. I'm not making any crazy amounts of money or anything on them, right? So it's, it's just sort of to fill a gap in the community. There's not really... It was kind of like the radiators, like nobody was doing it. It's like, well, why is nobody doing this? It seems like the kind of thing. There's obviously a huge demand for this, so let's. if I can't do it, let's find somebody that can do it. So that's what I'm with the RADs, but with the autocross, I'm like, you know what, I, I think I can do this myself and with, with the help of some friends, and we you know, got her done, got her together, and got a couple of them out there, and they're out running around the wild now, and yeah, they're working, man. Yeah, and thanks for doing that. I've got one in my car. I also have the fan that you recommended, and that was, uh, even for me, that was a super easy install. So, uh, you know, again, thank you so much, Pat. You know, stay uh, safe up there, as I would always say to anybody in the world. Uh, be safe with what, what you're doing, and uh, keep keep them Instagram posts coming, man. I got them post notifications turned on, and I always love seeing the photos, my friend. All right, sounds good. Cheers, buddy. Cheers.
Yes, you do.